Flat deck fail. The overpass crashed that damaged a bridge and closed a major section of Highway 99. Seismic controversy. The scary part is what other capital projects are being deferred that we haven't heard about yet. School upgrades drop off the priority list while the province pushes ahead with its museum rebuild. And day three of the Amanda Todd online extortion and harassment trial. Those sites continue to appear in different names. The shocking truth about social media you've never heard of and why it's a warning to other parents too. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good afternoon. We begin with breaking news and a major traffic nightmare on a key Metro Vancouver route. A semi with an overheight load slammed into a Richmond overpass. Julia Foy joins us live now from Highway 99 at the Canby Street overpass. And Julia, the damage from the impact is obvious. You know what? This has been quite the scene this afternoon. And right now, there's a lot of very delicate work happening. We've got tow trucks with cables trying to straighten up so they can start to remove the piece of construction equipment that was on the back of that semi that slammed into Camby Road about 1 o'clock this afternoon. You know, it happened, and fortunately, there were no serious injuries to the driver or to all the other people that were in the area. But I can tell you that the number of people that are impacted by this crash is immeasurable. Right now, there are people backed up in many of the main routes out of Vancouver, whether it be Oak Street, uh, Granville Street, even Knight Street. And this occurred about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. As you mentioned, Chris, a slightly overheight truck with a piece of construction equipment on the back. So currently, drivers are being rerouted off of the two southbound lanes, pretty much right after you come off the Oak Street Bridge to take the Shell Road exit. Now, you are able to get back onto Highway 99 a little bit later, but the lineups are horrendous and traffic is slow in both directions. The northbound lanes aren't actually affected, but there's a lot of looky-loos. There's been a fair bit of stuff for people to look at. Now at this point, uh, there was one person to the hospital, a worker, when he was trying to, to assess and crawl over some of the, uh, the material, but we understand it's not life-threatening at this point. So expect delays for the next four to five hours, but hopefully they'll have this cleaned up before rush hour starts again tomorrow morning. Back to you. Let's hope. Lots of work to do before then. Thanks, Julia. That's Julia Foy reporting live for us tonight. Questions tonight about the government's spending priorities after a number of capital projects have been put on hold, including new schools and seismic upgrades to existing ones. The Ministry of Education blames financial impacts from the pandemic. But as Richard Zussman reports, the Royal BC Museum rebuild is still a go. Strapped for cash. There are times at which, uh, during which we may need to rejig and reprioritize our capitalists. The BC government rejecting requests to fund new major capital projects across the province for 2022-23. The reason? Financial impacts due to floods and the pandemic. Also leading to turning down seismic repairs to multiple schools. Those situations occur when we have other priorities that um, that, that come up where, uh, where a situation with another project changes and it becomes more urgent. The now on hold projects include a new school in Fernie, 
Falls Creek Elementary, Killarney Secondary, and David Thompson Secondary in Vancouver, a seismic upgrade of Pitt Meadow Secondary, and a new secondary school in Mission. I think the uncertainty of the deferment is, is what is causing some of the anxiety. It says deferred, so we don't know if that is a one-year deferment, a 10-year deferment, um, and especially knowing that the, the urgency that we need this school built. Also on the list, Shoreline Middle School, a delay to the seismic upgrading needed on this site. But still on the list, a $1 billion capital project for the Royal BC Museum replacement. What the museum um, represents is a decision that the provincial government made that's kind of out of step with uh, the challenges that British Columbians are feeling. The province is investing $3.1 billion over the next three years for school construction, repairs and maintenance. But still, the delays in Vancouver means 43%, more than 20,000 students, will be going to school next year in seismically unfit buildings. What becomes apparent is that they have overreached with their capital spend. They can't possibly deliver what they've promised to people. At the same time, they're promising a billion plus dollar museum project. One of those promises also includes a school here at Athletes Village, promised last election, but still with no funding, leaving those here and many other places waiting. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, as we've reported many times since the pandemic began, hate crimes are on the rise. A new survey confirms that, but most say they didn't even bother reporting the incidents. And that has BC's Human Rights Commissioner calling for better strategies to fight hate. Kamal Karamali has the details. It's been more than two years since Trixie Ling's brush with anti-Asian hate, but even now it's tough to forget. I see this white man approaching me and we run right walk past each other, he turned around, he spat on my face. Now, a survey conducted by the BC Office of the Human Rights Commissioner shows people have experienced more hate during the pandemic, but few have reported it. The results showed 35% of people surveyed experienced, witnessed, or were affected by hate during the pandemic. Of those, more than half felt there was a rise of hate incidents because people were blaming certain groups for the pandemic. And out of all those who experienced hate incidents, 72% did not report it. And 68% believed reporting it would not make a difference. We know that some people don't feel that police are able to provide them uh, with the support or will treat them fairly in that process, particularly racialized people uh, might feel that way. You chose to report this to police. So why did you choose to speak up? I really felt the need. If I don't do anything, he'll do this to someone else. Ling says only to find out her case had been dropped by police six months after she had reported it. Oh, that made me feel really angry. I discouraged and angry because there's just no accountability. Police say that's likely one of the reasons why victims don't report these incidents, a lack of results. But even if reporting it doesn't lead to an arrest, police say it still provides other benefits. We need to hear about it so that we can properly track it and so we can understand what's happening in the community and so that we can properly respond to the community's needs. BC's Human Rights Commissioner says the next step is to put forward recommendations by next year to help build trust between victims of hate and the institutions that might be able to stop it. Kamal Karamali, Global News. A popular event is back in Vancouver's downtown east side after a two-year break because of the pandemic. 
UGM's Summer Connect event is a place for members of the community to connect with more than 30 different service providers. Princess Avenue is shut down to accommodate all the booths and the more than 1,000 people expected to attend to get help with everything from housing and employment to pet care and bike repair. It's for folks that are facing multiple barriers in their life. Maybe they don't have an ID or they need help with employment or access to housing. And for them, they're able to come here instead of navigating these complex kind of systems, coming here for one day at one time, one location, to be able to choose who they can connect with the services that they need most. Um, and it can really make some massive transformations in their life. The event didn't run in 2020 or 2021 because of COVID-19 concerns. Well, drinking outdoors in select public places is back this summer in Vancouver and for good this time. Vancouver Council has given its approval for the Drinking in Public Plazas program to become a permanent summer fixture. People can drink alcohol in public at any of the six plaza locations around Vancouver between 11 a.m. and 9 p.m. starting on June 15th. The pilot program was created out of a social need for more outdoor public drinking spaces at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. The trial of the Dutch man accused of sextortion and harassment against Amanda Todd heard from a digital forensic specialist today. The police officer testified about a web of social media sites that are used to house and share disturbing images of children. As Romina Dea reports, it's something Todd's mother says she wished she'd known more about. Most of us have heard of YouTube, Skype and Gmail, but there are hundreds of millions of people using other platforms to live chat, text and in some cases upload pornography. Websites you've never heard of. Websites used to torment 15-year-old Amanda Todd. Tiny Chat, Omegle, Blog TV, Dialagoo, I Can Has Chat, and Cam Voice. Just a few examples. Digital forensic specialist, VPD Detective Constable Robin Shook, was questioned about. Shook, who also worked with the Child Exploitation Unit, testified about Motherless.com, a porn website which hosts 13 million videos and images. Common theme, how easy it is to access and upload graphic content, no real name required, no verification checks. I knew she was using the basic ones, but I didn't realize or know about those other ones till much later. And as a mom, like, do I feel bad that I didn't? Yes. So why is this relevant? This case hinges on identity. Who did it? Crown says Amanda Todd was the victim of a persistent campaign of online sextortion for three years, November 2009 to February 2012. Graphic content sent to family, friends and school. 22 different phony user accounts operated by one man, the accused Aidan Coban, says Crown. Defense suggesting there's no link between Coban and the online extortionist, adding that Amanda likely shared social media passwords with others. That's so hard to have to deal with alone. I can understand how and why her behaviors changed, and that's why it's so important that if you see a change of behavior in your, in your child, in your young person, you need to ask, you need to talk about it. You know what, nothing might be wrong, but you might find something that, that needs some support. Crucial advice for parents to be mindful of. 
The first witness from the Netherlands is expected to testify via video Thursday. The trial is set for seven weeks. Romina Dea, Global News. Well, the former head coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps women's team was in court today after pleading guilty to several charges of sexual assault. Bob Berarda was there for his sentencing hearing. And as Catherine Urquhart tells us, the agreed statement of facts in the case are disturbing. Outside North Vancouver Provincial Court, disgraced soccer coach Bob Berarda arrives for his sentencing hearing. Mr. Berarda, anything to say? Nothing to say at all. The 55-year-old former head coach of the Vancouver Whitecaps women's team previously pleaded guilty to three counts of sexual assault and one count of touching a young person for a sexual purpose. An agreed statement of facts showed Berarda's pattern of predatory behavior. His targets were all young girls with great soccer-related aspirations. As coach, Berarda used that to manipulate them, pressuring them for intimacy, which led to unwanted touching and sex acts. The Whitecaps and Canada Soccer dismissed Berarda in 2008. Then, in 2019, former Whitecaps player Kira McCormick wrote a blog about the allegations and how the Whitecaps had mishandled them. That prompted hundreds of Whitecaps fans to walk out of games. Crown is asking for a sentence of two years minus a day, three years probation, DNA for the sex offender registry, and a 10-year firearms ban. For certain, he'll never be on a soccer field with athletes again. I think that that has to be seen as a big win. And obviously, you know, that's completely thanks to the victims that have come forward and have, you know, put their lives on hold to, um, you know, find some kind of justice in the situation. Defense submissions in the case against Bob Berarda will be made at a later date, which is yet to be determined. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. BC Ferries is reviewing a report from WorkSafe BC which has fined the Ferry Corp more than $650,000 for the death of one of its workers in June of 2020. The employee was working in Richmond when he fell into the water and drowned. WorkSafe says the man was leaning over fabric webbing trying to retrieve something that had fallen into the water when the webbing broke. WorkSafe says the webbing wasn't strong enough, the worker wasn't wearing a life jacket, and ferries had no safe work procedures for recovering objects that were in the water. Ferries says it addressed areas of concern immediately after the accident and is reviewing the WorkSafe report to see if any more improvements can be made. An invitation from a northern First Nation, the Hutzel Nation, planning a major redevelopment that'll encourage you to stop and stay a while. Next. Treasure from the trash heap, what these Okanagan students are using to make their new jewelry. Later. And he thought buying a hybrid vehicle was the right thing to do. Why, he's regretting it now. But first, a B.C. First Nation is hoping a new rest stop on its territory will drive more economic prosperity. Amadagahi shows us how the new development on Hatzel territory will be a gateway to exploring Indigenous heritage. Around a sharp turn on the Caribou Highway, the historic Soda Creek Emporium sits empty and alone. Oh gosh, I was only um, 18 then. For 20 years, the building has been a shadow of its former self, 
and hard to distinguish to a passerby, but Sherry Sellers knows it inside and out. It's just thinking of all those memories that we had in this building. Once a busy restaurant and gathering place. A lot of dining, a lot of laughter, a lot of fun. For the Hutzall First Nation, these walls hold significant cultural value. So every time I come here, I get saddened because it's not open, I, um, because of the pride that we have for this area. There is a plan to bring the building back to life. In April, the Hutzall First Nation announced the finalization of a $3.8 million project to rejuvenate the site. The key addition being a gas station next door. It was a challenge for us to think about Petro Canada being added to the building because then is it ours? Is it become a franchise? You know, those are all the questions we had to ask ourselves. Once built, it's hoped the nation could use the new facility to employ its members and attract tourism. Behind the site and almost hidden is a spectacular view of the Fraser River and the Hutzall Heritage Village. A better area for us to kind of have advertising and so that it brings more people to the site. Being able to tell those stories and make sure that they keep being told so that they don't end up getting lost. It took a long road to get here. Chief Sherry Sellers says it was actually her late mother, Chief Doreen Sellers, who first envisioned this project 20 years ago. For me, this is a my grounding place. The Hatsu First Nation feels it has a story to tell and this could be their opportunity. That's where I'd really like to be at one point for our membership is to be able to tell our story of who we are. Amadagahi, Global News. Ottawa is appointing a new special interlocutor related to unmarked graves from former or at former residential schools in the country. The survivors and families, it's important that you hear this. We believe you, Canada believes you, and we honour those that are courageously speaking up, some for the first time. This burden of educating Canadians and the world and having to share what survivors Diane and Roberta Hill have called Canada's ugly truths should never have been your burden to share. Murray, who will serve in the new role, the former executive director for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, will work with Indigenous communities directly and make recommendations to strengthen laws and practices. So many Indigenous communities across Canada are launching similar investigations, and it is very painstaking, and it is vitally important work, and work that is going to take time, and it's going to take resources. Up next, hitting the waves to celebrate a recycling milestone. This is the most littered item in the world. You won't believe what the Surfrider Foundation used to build this surfboard. Plus, how skyrocketing inflation could block the construction of more affordable housing. Still seeing significant delays this evening southbound on Highway 99 towards Camby Road because of an oversized vehicle that hit the overpass. Traffic is being detoured off the highway and onto the Shell Road on and off ramps and backed up right over the Oak Street Bridge into Vancouver. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $5 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Oak and Camby.
the special stories that shape our province. As suggested by our viewers, this is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. Well, you can add affordable housing to the long list of projects being threatened by the rising cost of construction. As Aaron MacArthur reports, a report to Metro Vancouver says its 10-year budget is taking a big hit. Even digging down, the price is going up. Every aspect of building in Metro Vancouver is more than it was last month, way more than it was last year. And in a region where creating affordable housing is hard enough, inflation making the situation more difficult. The biggest increases in costs that we're seeing are for lumber and plastics, um, followed by concrete and steel. According to a report tabled at Metro Vancouver, the $100 million earmarked to build affordable housing is being eroded. Pandemic supply chain issues have pushed construction costs up 15%. Fuel costs are up 25 to 30 percent. Add in a war and interest rate hikes, and Metro Vancouver is closely watching its bottom line. Yeah, we'd committed to 1,350 units uh, through various means over the next 10 years. We have uh, a number of projects in motion, uh, and so that's given us a good head start on, uh, on this process and in the delivery of them. At Brightside Community Housing, the goal is to match homes to income. But that rent needs to cover the cost of financing. Of the four projects on the go right now, one in Marpole might not make sense anymore. What the building costs us to build and maintain is what the building has to earn to break even. So if it was a for-profit model, we just raise the rents a bit and break even. But that's not our goal, right? So it means that to keep the affordability high, it means the project now loses money or we need some kind of government assistance or some other form of assistance to be able to take that gap and fill it. There is no expectation costs will continue to escalate at these levels long term. The Bank of Canada still maintains inflation at this rate is temporary. But once the costs are baked into a project, it's too late. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, the west coast of Vancouver Island is known as a prime surfing spot, but on this World Oceans Day, surfers are hoping to draw attention to a blight on their beach. They want smokers to be more respectful when they butt out, and they're using discarded darts to make their point. Kylie Stanton reports. They're small in size, but large in numbers, making cigarette butts the most littered item on the planet and beaches have become the biggest ashtray. It's still such a huge issue and it's still such a hidden issue that people don't necessarily see. We're here on the traditional Euthulathot and Tolokwia territories. On the 30 year anniversary of World Oceans Day, Surfrider Pacific Rim is hoping to raise awareness. Since 2017, it's collected and recycled more than 1.2 million cigarette butts in the region. And to commemorate that milestone, it's created the Dart Board. We wanted to make the first Canadian cigarette surfboard to use and educate people with. Advocates salvaged an old longboard, lining it with the used butts. Back in March, local surfers put it to the test, making history as the first board made from cigarette butts to grace the waters of the Pacific Rim, bringing attention to the larger issues at play. We'd love to have a ban on cellulose acetate because basically the filters are made with plastic. And we also want tobacco companies to 
to be accountable for the end of life of the product. The material is not only toxic, but potentially deadly for marine life. One single cigarette butt in a litre of water would actually kill any fish in that water. But we're not talking about just one. Instead, trillions every single year. Dr. Juan Jose Alava says it's just as important to change people's behaviours and mindset around the waste. I think the best way is to start reducing our uh, human footprint in terms of the pollution that we produce. And that means to get away from plastic or to reduce our, our, our consumption of energy in a sustainable way so future generations will be able to enjoy what we are enjoying today. And that could start with one butt in a bin, leaving one less on the beach. The hope is that small act, like a ripple, could one day become a wave. It is impacting our environment, which is ultimately impacting us. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, the risk of contracting monkeypox abroad. So the kind of exposure you need to have in order to pick up the virus is quite significant. The public health agency's latest advisory for travelers. Plus, we have been failed and we deserve answers. Why some of the world's greatest gymnasts want a billion dollars from the FBI. Good evening. Emergency crews are on scene to a new crash here in Richmond, eastbound on the east-west connector, just east of number 7 road. Today's lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $5 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash on the east-west connector. Well, dozens of top-level gymnasts have filed a billion-dollar-plus lawsuit against the FBI. They are claiming agents mishandled the case against former USA Gymnastics doctor Larry Nasser, allowing him to continue his abuse for years. They are Olympic superstars and survivors. No one at FBI, USAG, or the USOPC did what was necessary to protect us. We have been failed, and we deserve answers. Now, they're demanding answers. 91 women and girls sexually abused by former USA Gymnastics team Dr. Larry Nasser have filed claims for more than a billion dollars against the FBI, saying agents mishandled or ignored key evidence during their investigation, allegations they outlined during a Senate hearing late last year. Nasser found more than 100 new victims to molest. It was like serving innocent children up to a pedophile on a silver platter. In the same hearing, FBI Director Christopher Wray, who wasn't leading the agency at the time, acknowledged mistakes in the case. The kinds of fundamental errors that were made in this case in 2015 and 16 should never have happened, period. One agent was fired, another retired. Still, neither has faced criminal charges. The FBI now has six months to reach a settlement with the gymnast or deny the claims, which would clear the way for a lawsuit to be filed. Jay Gray, NBC News. Well, with many Canadians heading abroad after weathering COVID-19, travelers now face concerns over monkeypox. The case count is creeping higher here at home. And according to the World Health Organization, 29 countries are reporting cases in the current outbreak. So far, no deaths. But as Marianne Demain reports, the Public Health Agency of Canada is warning travelers to take precautions. As the monkeypox virus continues to spread around the world, travelers ready to fly out of Pearson Airport say it is a worry. We are going to keep a mask on. Are you concerned about monkeypox? 
yeah, a little bit. How come? Yeah, because we heard about the news. That uh, I don't know how it's, uh, the people how they get infected. The caution comes as Canada's public health agency issued a travel notice to Canadians leaving the country to practice enhanced health precautions. The notice does not list specific countries, but it does recommend visiting a travel health clinic six weeks before travel, wearing a face mask and frequent hand washing. But in a news release, the agency said in part, quote, clusters of monkeypox cases have been reported in several countries internationally outside of areas in Central and West Africa, where cases are normally found. During your travel, you may be subject to procedures at your destination put in place to limit the spread of monkeypox, such as isolation, should you become infected. The agency also warns that depending on where you're going, you could have limited access to appropriate care and could face delays returning to Canada. So the advisory issued by the Government of Canada regarding travel is really to alert people not to have close contact with people while you're traveling. In Canada, the number of cases continues to climb, including in Ontario. The most have been found in Quebec. The virus is spread through close contact with an infected person, as well as through respiratory droplets. Overall, the risk is quite low. The kind of exposure you need to have in order to pick up the virus is quite significant. Symptoms can begin 5 to 21 days after exposure, including a rash similar to chickenpox, a fever, headache or body aches. Those can last for 14 to 21 days. But even still, not all travelers flying out of Pearson Airport are concerned. I think it's been blown out of proportion. Uh, uh, no, not concerned. Uh, I have my mask and I believe that there is no issue. Marianne Demain, Global News. Another atmospheric river heading our way. Christy has the alarming details coming up in just a moment and a hybrid horror story. I picked it up in November and the first time I had a problem was mid-January 2021. How a self-described tree hugger says his new vehicle has let him down. And later turning trash into treasures. The Kelowna Teens Initiative to help the people of Ukraine. The high price at the pump is proving to be the tipping point for many people to make the switch to electric vehicles and hybrids. But one Calgary car owner says his decision to go greener has been nothing but aggravation. Tomasia De Silva shows us why. Well, I've been a tree hugger for quite a while, environmentalist. Gary Lambert doesn't just talk the talk. He walks it, or in this case, drives it. It's the first vehicle that was designed specifically for towing a trailer that's a hybrid? Or at least he's tried to drive it. Unfortunately, his Ford Explorer hybrid has been in and out of service since he got it. I picked it up in November and the first time I had a problem was mid-January 2021. I got an, an error message saying there was a powertrain failure and check engine. I took it in and they reprogrammed the control module and a few other things and said, oh, it should be good to go. But the only place it ended up going again was back to the shop. I got four more, or sorry, three more of those powertrain and check engine light incidents in the last year or so. Lambert says the dealership finally diagnosed the issue as a problem with the lithium battery. It ordered a new one, which finally arrived about five months later. I brought it in on the 9th of May and they said, oh, it'll be two days to replace the battery. And that's the last time I've had my car. It's been at the dealer ever since. Global News reached out to the dealership. It told us we're doing everything humanly possible to get Mr. Lambert's vehicle to him, adding it did have delays in getting the parts required. 
Lambert doesn't dispute supply chain issues, but he also questions Ford's training and knowledge of these vehicles, especially as it ramps up production. He put that concern to Ford Canada. So did we. No answer. Ford did tell us in recent testing of the customer's vehicle, it is running without issue. And due to the inconvenience, we have offered to make two months of payments. I mean, I really love it when it's working. As Gary Lambert looks longingly at his vehicle across the street, he doesn't regret going green. I really like the gas economy. I like the environmental effects. What he does regret, the stalling from Ford. All right, let's bring in uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon now for uh, some more warnings in two words that we really uh, don't want to hear again, Christy, atmospheric river. That's exactly right, Sophie. So I want everyone to be aware, though, uh, before everyone gets too worried, this atmospheric river is going to impact the BC area only minimally in that it's not going to last too long in our region. Here's a quick look at the atmospheric river. It is targeting the south coast right now, but that real band, the, the river itself, is actually going to shift south of the border tomorrow, sorry, on Friday. So it's really only going to be tomorrow that we're going to be impacted. And the bulk of that will be across the south coast. So we're talking about 10 to 40 millimeters of rain. We do have moisture on the way for the interior regions. We're talking about 5 to 15 for those regions. And I'll show you the timeline in a second, but I just want to quickly tell you about the advisory level. So you know, high stream flow advisory means no major flooding is expected. A flood watch means they may, these flood, these rivers may exceed Bankful, and a flood warning is that they will. So here's a look. The key area they're watching is the Liard River area. That's from Fort Nelson to Fort uh, to Watson Lake. That area is a cause for concern, and I'll tell you why in a second. But the other area I wanted to point out is that the Quinell River and the Horse Five River has now been increased to a flood watch, meaning that it may exceed ben Bankful. We're watching to see how things transpire, and the High Stream Flow Advisory has been put in place for all of the Fraser and that's because of that atmospheric river. So it moves into the south coast tomorrow morning. The impact for the southern regions that I just mentioned will be tomorrow and then into Friday. Friday morning the big impact will be the Liard area so I think Friday will be the impact on those rivers across that region and then easing into the weekend. So the far northern regions impacted Friday. The southern regions impacted tomorrow with that heavy rain. So here's a look at the forecast. The bulk of that again across the south coast, it is going to be heavy rain and milder conditions. So we're talking about highs 14 to 17 degrees. Showers still on Friday and it eases over the weekend. Here's a look at tonight's central windows weather window. Sophie, lightening things up a little bit. This is a gorgeous sunset shot from Surrey. Thanks to Norman for that one. Back to you. Wow, beautiful shot. Okay, thanks very much, Christy. Uh, Squire is here now with a look ahead to sports. What's going on, Squire? Okay, so the uh, game between Canada and Curacao at BC Place tomorrow night will happen. What happened on Sunday when the Canadian players refused to play against Panama? Or, well, yeah, well, is it Panama? I'm getting all mm -hmm. It was yep. Panama. Panama. Yep. Why am I mixed up? Anyway, they say they will play, but they explained what happened on Sunday. We needed to make a, you know, a difficult decision. Um, obviously, it was tough for not only us, but for everybody um, supporting us. So, Alfonso Davies and friends will play tomorrow at BC Place. A lot of fans will be happy. Also tonight, Okanagan students proving anything is possible. <laughs> get it? Upcycling. I get it. <laughs> Upcycling garbage into something much prettier.
fans looking ahead to a big weekend of football? Yes. This time we're not talking soccer. We're talking the BC Lions. They will open up the uh, regular season at home on Saturday against the Elks. Now, the moment Michael Riley retired, the BC Lions coaching staff made the decision to give his job to Nathan Rourke, despite this just being his second year in the league. But they knew that Rourke had filled in for Riley last year when he was hurt. That means he was already familiar with how the offense ran. And more importantly, he had shown the coaches that he was willing to do all the work that a successful quarterback has to do. Last year, this year, he always was preparing like he was the guy. And I think that's a, that's a great trait for a quarterback to have. So um, he hasn't changed much, and that's part of the reason we believed in him is that he's very consistent um, in his approach every day, no matter if he was the starting guy or if he was the third guy. One of the things every quarterback has to do is lead without being cocky. Be a voice in the huddle that everyone can trust and respect, no matter how many years they've played the game. Man, I think Nathan's always just carried himself in high regards, and he's a great leader. He leads from the front. He's not going to tell you what to do. He's going to show you what to do. You know, he really reminds me of, of a Travis Lule, of a Mike Riley. Um, guys who just come in and they get it, man. They, they put in the work because that's what it takes to be a professional quarterback at, at this level. It's really a position where you have to be part athlete and part scholar. And Nathan Rourke's enthusiasm to learn has been noticed by more than just the coaches. First one in the locker room, last one to leave, studying film, understanding where he needs to get better, where he needs to learn. Um, and that rubs off on everybody. You know, when you have a quarterback that's working hard, you know, that's going to make everybody rise to that level. One thing about Nathan Rourke, he's always been a quick study. He was that way with the Ohio University program where he won three consecutive bowl games. And now as a starter with the BC Lions in just his second year, he needs the same kind of learning curve. This is a, it's an offense that I know, that's a coaching staff that I'm familiar with. The core group of players is the same. Um, and so that's been a, that's been a fun time. And, and uh, so there's not too much adjustment uh, for, on, my, on my part. I think the only question on him is going to be just gaining experience which is just going to happen through through playing but he's done everything we've asked him to do and uh, I'm looking forward to watching him play this week and into the future. Well tomorrow night at BC Place there will be a Canadian men's national team soccer game unlike last Sunday the entire squad this time won't be strikers. Canada against Curacao is a go, a CONCACAF Nations League game at 7.30. And today after practice, we finally heard from one of the Canadian players. It was the third consecutive day of training for the Canadian men's national team, but it was the first time we heard from a player since they voiced their concerns over compensation last week and then took the hard stance of not playing their home match against Panama on Sunday. It took a lot for for us, but you know, in our eyes, we we felt like we needed to you know to make a, a stance, and um, we felt that we truly believed that that was the right thing for us to do as a as a group. Their difficult decision was harsh, but might have been effective since recent negotiations and discussions are now going in the right direction. A resolution won't happen before tomorrow's match, but Canada Soccer appears to be listening to the players. It's hard to say how, how far we are away. Um, I just go back to the point that over the last couple of days, we've had great discussions, right? The, the guys in that room have been great. Um, they're smart guys. As a team, we're just looking for, you know, transparency. Um, we've 
been working on getting legal legal representation. Now the team will have to make the most of what's left in this international window before the players return to their clubs. I mean, I went a year without even playing, you know. Every window seemed to get cancelled. And we got to this point, you know, finishing top of CONCACAF with this group, so we'll adapt. This team has been through tough battles before and come out on top. Now they'll have to win back the trust of the fans in this country. And I think you've got to understand when they make decisions like that, that was a heavy decision that weighed on them very heavy. But it let you know that, you know, in their minds, there was a reason for that. And I have to respect that as a coach. I think for the fans, you don't want to see that. I mean, none of us want to see that. And I don't think we'll ever see that again. Well, let's hope not, certainly. Uh, Coffin Stadium in Kansas City, Royals' worst team in the American League, but uh, they did beat the Blue Jays today, mainly because uh, you saw Kikuchi couldn't get out of the first inning. He was walking guys, bringing in runs. Emmanuel Rivera there scoring two. That made it 3-0. Michael A. Taylor, after the Blue Jays had tied it 3-3, Kansas City pulled ahead again. Long uh, double will score a run, and Kansas City wins it by the score of 8-4. Toronto had to use eight pitchers today. Bryson DeChambeau is going to leave the uh, PGA and join the Live Golf Tour. Yet another big name going for the big money of the Live. Okay, thank you very much, Squire. Thanks, Squire. Also coming up a little bit, discarded coffee pods turned into something much more beautiful. That's next on the News Hour. Sarah McDonald is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Sarah? Chris, we're keeping a close eye on Highway 99 and the rush hour mayhem caused by that overpass crash this afternoon. We'll have the latest details. Plus, rodeo no-go, the push against plans for a new rodeo in the Fraser Valley as animal advocates buckle up for a big battle. We'll have all that and more coming up at 11. Chris? All right, Sarah. Thank you very much. Well, drink it, wear it. That's the slogan of a new student-run jewelry business. As Claudia Van Emmerich shows us, they get their raw materials from an unusual source and give the proceeds right back to those who really need it. And then we're going to glue this and put them together. At Rutland Senior Secondary in Kelowna, a trio of students is brewing up something special and unique. I'm pressing the last one. Handmade earrings using Nespresso coffee pods. A lot of people are surprised that it's from like Nespresso pods. It's like pretty new, pretty, I don't know, weird, but they like it. Grade 12 student Sarah Laudi says the idea came from her grandmother in Italy. She loved just doing creative things and stuff like that. So she taught me how to do them. Laudi and her two classmates are international students who launched the jewelry making venture as part of their Entrepreneurship 12 class. I think it's really good because you know, it's upcycling, so basically you transform something that has been used to something even better. This time-lapse video shows the students taking the used coffee pods and transforming them into colorful earrings. But it doesn't end there. The students have been selling their creations and getting an idea what it's like to run a business. Well, I'm really interested in business and I think like I'm going to study it next year at university, so... Yeah, so it's a good preparation for university. And also how to be good corporate citizens, as the students are donating 50% of their proceeds to Ukraine. Being European, when I was here, I found out about all that was happening in Ukraine, and it was really sad. I was really worried about everything. So we wanted to try and do something to do something about it. A business trait their teacher is happy to see them develop. 
Well, a lot of times with entrepreneurship, their focus is on money. But of course, then you get like the thing called corporate social responsibility. And these kids have become very socially responsible and giving while they're making their own money and benefiting from it. So it's, it's sort of a win-win for everybody. If you'd like to support the students by purchasing the coffee pod earrings or by donating your used coffee pods to make the jewellery, you can contact Rutland Senior Secondary. Claudia Van Amer, Global News, Kelowna. Good kids. Very creative. Uh, big thanks to everybody who's at the Junior Achievement of BC. Business laureates of BC Gala last night. Lots of young entrepreneurs there too. And it's great to see the business in BC is in good hands with that uh, future group of young kids coming up. Uh, all right. You, we mentioned the Atmospheric River a little bit earlier, but thankfully it's not going to stick around as long as the last one we had, Christy. That's exactly right. So really, uh, the sun today is going to change over to heavy rain tomorrow for the south coast. But it's really just the one day. It shifts out of our region on Friday. And then it's Friday. The impact will be on that Liard River area. So we'll be watching that area sort of late tomorrow into Friday. So there will be an impact on the rivers. But uh, thankfully, it's not going to stick around too long. Glad to know it. And a lot of people in the valley are too, no mm -hmm. doubt. Absolutely. Thanks very much for watching, everyone. Hope you have a great night, and we'll see you back here tomorrow. Good night, all. it's Shauna and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.